Hello, everybody. Welcome back to We're Getting a Dog. Hey, everybody. This week, we are coming to you for our holiday episode. It's not a holiday-themed episode, but it is just about Christmas. <laughs> it's so, all about Christmas? No, it's almost Christmas. Oh, it's, it's almost It's just Christmas. about okay. Christmas. So this Time. episode's about Christmas? No, so I ordered saying? it different. I ordered it poorly. <laughs> so it's all about Hanukkah. It's all not right. about any holidays. It's just a holiday episode because it's coming out around Christmas and Hanukkah. <laughs> well, happy holidays. Yes. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy from holidays. Dylan and I. We what'd you say? Happy Honda Days. Or they said happy holidays. Those who celebrate Honda Days. Yeah, you should go buy a Honda, not sponsored. Uh actually I don't want a Honda. <laughs> I buy a car. Wow, now Honda will never sponsor us. <laughs> We don't have near the listenership to have Honda sponsor us right, right now. before the Honda days, no less. Oh my God. Has your YouTube ads just been Honda days? <laughs> I don't know. It's just what I think of when people say holidays. It's like Mary Chrysler. <laughs> sure. Well, sorry for the extra break there, everyone. We just have been having to do a lot this holiday season. Our friend got married and we had to recover a little bit and it was, you know, yeah. such a good time took yeah. it out of us. Amazing wedding. It was so much fun. Yeah. Congratulations, Taylor and Carlton again. Congrats. Um, it was probably one of the best weddings I've ever been to. I yeah. can safely say. But either way, it was a great time. And uh, we're really happy to be back this week with the Great Pyrenees. Great. Or they're also known as the Pyrenean, Pyrenean, I think it's Pyrenean. Pyrenean Mountain Dog. Mm. Yeah, so they have different names around the world. Depending if you're in the Pyrenean Mountains or not. The Pyrenees Mountains. <laughs> the Pyrenees Mountains. Yes, I actually do have a, I have a photo of the dog and I have a map of the Pyrenees Mountains. I'm going to get started on our breed description. They're shaped just like the dog. Yep, no. <laughs> Sorry if my voice is a little uh, scratchy. I uh, strained a vocal cord at our friend's wedding as well. Right. And I'm still kind of on the mend. So if I'm a little soft, that's why. The breed standard of the Great Pyrenees can be accessed via their breed club website. I thought that their general description was so well put that I decided to read it to you all as my introduction to this breed. So this is a direct quote from the standard. Okay. The Great Pyrenees dog conveys the distinct impression of elegance and unsurpassed beauty combined with great overall size and majesty. He has a white or principally white coat that may contain markings of badger, gray, or varying shades of tan. I think there's a badger in there. Actually, the color badger is just the same color of a badger. It's probably the only millhouse. <laughs> <laughs> he possesses a keen intelligence and a kindly, while regal, expression. Exhibiting a unique elegance of bearing and movement, his soundness and coordination show unmistakably the purpose for which he has been bred. The strenuous work of guarding the flocks in all kinds of weather on the steep mountain slopes of the Pyrenees. Ah. Uh -huh. Sounds like a pretty badass dog. I, I mean... Definitely. They're very, um, very agile, very graceful. Elegance is like the one word that the standard really highlights. Okay. Yeah. Before we get into the description of the Great Pyrenees, I would like to point out that Great Pyrenees is only observed in the United States as the official name for this breed. Throughout the UK and Western Europe, the breed is known as the Pyrenean Mountain Dog. In France, the dog has two names, Le Grand Chien de Montagne or Patou. Ooh. The latter being the nickname of a working dog rather than a show dog. I will be using both Great Pyrenees and Pyrenean Mountain Dog. Why not Patou? Um, we'll get to that in a second. We'll get to that differentiation in a, mo in a moment. I'll be using Great Pyrenees and Pyrenean Mountain Dog interchangeably throughout the episode. I'll be using Big White Fluff. 
and lay big white fluff. <laughs> so for the body, the Great Pyrenees is a tall dog that ranges between 27 to 32 inches in height for males and 25 to 29 inches for females. In the print source I used for this episode, there are wonderful illustrations that depict the bone structure within all the fluff and fur of this breed. And it's actually pretty interesting. I think you can still look it up on like the Breed Club's website. They have like a depiction of the skeletal frame of the dog underneath all the floof. Oh, wow. The Great Pyrenees is a great big dog. Females must weigh at least 85 pounds and males at least 100 pounds. In one source, it stated that either gender should weigh 115 pounds at the very least. A unique trait that comes with this kind of dog is that it can build muscle and strength to weigh a decent amount more than these minimum requirements, and the standard does not punish a dog that may weigh more but has supportive structural substance. Well, so they like can get two standards, 115. <laughs> it's like either sex can get pretty heavy as far as um, its overall bone density, musculature, weight, tallness. Like they can get pretty big. Yeah. In addition, the Great Pyrenees has very dense bones, which adds to its imposing strength. The standard states that the length of the dog from the shoulder blade to the base of the tail should be equal to its height, giving the dog's profile a slightly square shape. Though all Pyrenean mountain dogs are strong, females are said to be more refined in all ways. As in, like, stronger, too? I don't really know what that means. That's very up to interpretation of the reader. Well, just don't count them out. They carry a lot of strength in their broad chest and thick-boned legs. Their fore and hindquarters are well-muscled and very sound as well, but not bulging or exaggerated looking. One thing the standard makes very clear is that this dog is naturally built to be strong, but should not look oversized. One example is that their head cannot look too droopy or large, and that proportion is very important with the overall look of this dog. And every descriptions like well they're beautiful but not too beautiful and, you know they'll be square shaped but not too square shaped they'll be fluffy not too fluffy that's the perfect amount of fluffy but they always come up with different words so uh, it sounds i feel like they don't come up with a lot of words it's like i i come up with a lot of words no they're always like they're strong but not overly i don't know they're strong but they're not so Aggressive, strong as to yeah it's like, well, I guess, how do you define that in they words? They are positive connotation without being negative connotation. Yeah, that, that's better formula. <laughs> Their weather-resistant double coat consists of a long, flat, thick outer coat of coarse hair, straight or slightly undulating, and lying over a dense, fine, woolly undercoat. So, like, it's basically a lot of fur. <laughs> that's yeah, kind of what like I got. It. It's a lot, a lot of fur. <laughs> The coat is more profuse about the neck and shoulders, where it forms a ruff or mane, which is more pronounced in males. Longer hair on the tail forms a plume, and there is feathering along the back and the front of the legs and along the back of the thighs, giving a pantaloon effect. (laughs) The hair on the face and ears is shorter and a finer texture. Correctness of coat is more important than abundance of coat. So making sure it looks like it's cut the, the right way is better than having too much of it. Yeah, it's some pretty unique fluff now that I'm looking at it. Yeah, for sure. And you can also get like shorter cuts for a Great Pyrenees dog as well, so they're not as much fluff. There are faults, such as a curly coat or a standoff coat, which is what Samoyeds have. Oh, they're disgusting. So fault. <laughs> faulty. They are white, and they're 100% white. And may have markings in several different colors, such as tan, gray, badger, and reddish brown, which was not listed in the first description I gave. So they don't have to be 100% white. No. they can have markings. Uh, there is a photo I have here of a Pyrenean mountain dog with markings. It's like a, I don't know, more of a sheepdog. You're a sheepdog. 
The Great Pyrenees has great pride in its face. It is not angular or rigid, but of a smooth curvature and feel. Their head has been compared in size and shape to that of the brown bear, which I have a photo of as well. So you can see what the brown bear's head looks like. Like a grizzly bear? Yeah. Not a grizzly, a brown bear. I thought brown bears were grizzly bears. I think they're different. Maybe grizzly's a type of brown bear. Grizzly just happens to be brown. Oh, they're the same. You're right. They are the same. Oh, well, shoot. Maybe in a zoologist. Well, either way, they ha- the this bear has a similar type of face to the Pyrenean mountain dog. And that bear's face just looks kind of like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with the pronounced muzzles. That's definitely the highlight. The muzzle right. is tight-lipped with a powerful bite for the dog. Not, probably for the bear, too. However, any dental malocclusion must be addressed right away. Their eyes are almond-shaped and dark brown. The expression of their eyes makes them look as though the dog is smiling at you, which is giving gives it a warmer impression towards people. That's good. It'd be scary if they looked angry. It's called the 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 Pyrene, like the Pyrenean look or something like that. It sounds like the Samoyed smile. Look across the, the Pyrenean eye. Across the room, he's giving you that Pyrenean look. <laughs> New from Versace. <laughs> They have V-shaped ears that are set on the level of the eyes, but carried low. And if the Pyrenean mountain dog is on the watch, its ears will go up slightly as an indication. In the show ring, however, it should not be noticeable. The top of their head has a slight dome, but then it has a noticeable skeletal protuberance, which I wanted to say, where the head meets the neck joint. I think it's protuberance, not protuberance. I think I say it wrong because of the office. Protuberance? Protuberance. (laughs) You, know, you want to add an R, but there's actually no R <laughs> yeah. in the whole word. Poto burns. Wow. Their broad face slims down to their still large muzzle, which is all white with black lips and an all black nose. It is preferred that they have a scissor bite, but they may have a flat bite as well. And last about their description is their bark, which I have a video of. All right. Loud mountain bark. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, he's like also stamping his foot on the ground, which kind of Ah. makes the video cute. Very deep. Very deep. Yeah, very bellowy. Makes sense considering it's a livestock herding dog. (laughs) So that's all I have on the description of the Great Pyrenees or the Pyrenean. I'm going to say it wrong this whole episode (laughs) or the Pyrenean mountain dog. It's not Pyrenean. It's Pyrenees mountains. Pyrenean Pyrenean mountain dog. It's not Pyrenean. Pyrenean. You know it's the Baron Stain bears. Oh my god! I, mean, I think it's Pyrenean, not Pyrenean. Pyrenean sounds like an anglicized way of saying it. Uh, I, I'm just gonna say Great Pyrenees. <laughs> yeah, way, I mean that is the American way. What do you think of it so far? It's a very cute dog. Very cute. Very big. Very floof. Yeah, but I do like them so far. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with the history of the Great Pyrenees. Be right back. Hello, listeners. Wesley here to talk to you a little bit about how you can support this show. For each episode of all of our podcasts here at Arcadia, we spend our own money on books, articles, and other materials so that we can bring you podcasts that are thoroughly researched and fact-checked. All of the hosts and producers of these shows also work full-time jobs in addition to the podcast so that we can support this passion we all share. 
If you'd like to support us at We're Getting a Dog, as well as the other podcasts in the Arcadia Podcast Network, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash we're getting a dog, or our website, we're getting a dog.com slash support. For as low as $2 per month, you can get access a day early to every new episode of We're Getting a Dog and other Arcadia Podcast Network shows, such as Coffee's On and Good Food for Bad Friends. And at higher levels, you can get one-of-a-kind swag. Thank you for supporting the Arcadia Podcast Network and for listening to this podcast. Now back to the show. And we are back with the history of the Great Pyrenees. This Do dog, tell. Oh, this, <laughs> this dog comes to us from France. Oh, that's the, where the Pyrenees Mountains are? Uh-huh. I, didn't, I didn't pay close enough attention in the beginning, I guess. Did you look at the map? You know, I did... But it was just kind of Europe. Oh my God! It's not just kind of Europe. Okay, so <laughs> though the Great Pyrenees or the Pyrene- oh, okay, Pyrenean yeah, Mountain Dog is a French dog breed. Couldn't quite tell if Andorra was France or Spain at that point. The it's... truth of the matter is that this dog developed in the Pyrenees Mountains that serve as the border between France and Spain. Yeah, okay, it's mostly Spain. It Spain looks like. has claimed the sibling breed to this week's breed, which is the uh, Pyrenean Mastiff, um... which is an equally fluffy dog but does not share the same fur color. And I have a photo of them. So this is the. <laughs> breed that developed on the french side of the border of these mountains yes mm-hmm. when going through the guardians dog breed dna comparison article the great pyrenees is shown to be unlike any other dog there are no significant dna matches to other dog breeds the pyrenean mastiff is not present on the article's list of available breeds and is possibly the only breed the pyrenean mountain dog shares any significant dna with mm. One prevailing theory for a long time about the origin of this dog was that it was a descendant of the Tibetan Mastiff, having come to Western Europe with travelers from Asia some thousands of years ago. I mean, yeah, the, well, yeah, the Pyrenean Mastiff looks like Tibetan Mastiff a lot. Very bear-like. Definitely. Though those dogs are typically darker in color, there were claims that the breed had been subject to color paling, which is when the dog is conditioned in breeding to have lighter and lighter shades of fur over the centuries. The only evidence supporting this claim is illustrations of similar-looking dogs that have spots on their whitening fur, which could also be Pyrenean Mastiffs. (laughs) So it's kind of like, because they were geographically there, it kind of made sense if it swayed both breeds. There's also another theory that states that the Pyrenean Mountain Dog was a descendant of the ancient Sumerian breed known as the Kuasa, its modern iteration being the Kuvaz. Of course. So this theory seems much more plausible. The big white dog we already talked about. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I remember when I walked Splash. Ah, Splash. I remember when I walked dogs. (laughs) That was fun. (laughs) According to one article, this breed is so old, the Pyrenean Mountain Dog, is that its remains have been fossilized from around 1000 BCE, or the Bronze Age most likely descending from dogs that came from Asia Minor, which would be modern-day Turkey and the surrounding regions, which kind of would make sense with the Kuvaz theory, because Sumer was in that region. That's part of Asia Minor. Mm, okay. Or just outside of it. It was during this extensive period in the Pyrenees Mountains up to the 17th century that the Pyrenean Mountain Dog was trained by dedicated shepherds to master their work in the field as shepherding dogs, or livestock herding dogs. As with most breeds that develop in this manner, it may take centuries for the dog's duties to become purely instinctual. Once the behavior is mastered, though, it makes for a very skilled and purposeful dog. 
A fact that I found interesting while researching was the reasoning behind their fur color. It's said in the print source for this episode that shepherds wanted to keep their dogs white because it distinguished them from the wolves that may roam into their fields. Well, I guess that makes sense. Its intimidation factor and strength were also very important factors, as the Great Pyrenees was also required to get rid of the wolf. So right. <laughs> it has to get rid of the threat as well. So it has to be very strong. And you don't want the dog to get the wolf mixed up with itself. So it's good to different. Yeah, different that'd be terrible. Just, just put up a mirror and thinks it's the I'm wolf. a wolf. It's a wolf. Get it. <laughs> We're now. Okay. So that was kind That's the basic like prehistory into recorded history history of this breed <laughs> now we're going to move into the 17th and 18th centuries okay <laughs> the Pyrenean mountain dog enjoyed regional popularity as the choice for shepherding on the french side of the pyrenees mountains thanks to the dauphin yes. of louis the 14th however the dog rocketed to massive popularity in france because he took a liking to them according to monsieur w bison i'm terrible at french Mademoiselle de Montenon visited Berger, which is a French commune in the Pyrenees Mountains, in 1675, accompanied by the young Grand Dauphin, which means, like, heir apparent in French. Like, uh, son of the king. First son of the king. So he was the son of Louis XIV, who was the calling, son king. Shouldn't we be calling them Patou? Because they were, like, the working <laughs> dogs, the, the versions in France. <laughs> Look, I'm already it's terrible with French. Don't confuse me more. That was the funnest name. And it was shorter than... Most fun. Pyrenees funnest Mountain. is not a word. And <laughs> It was the funnest. I, yeah. <laughs> I just... My my English teacher, like, hits me on the wrist with a <laughs> ruler anytime I hear It was the most fun. Okay, so in the countryside, the young prince made friends with a gorgeous male patu. There you go. About right. eight months old. Jump the gun. Uh, the two became inseparable, and eventually uh, the patu and the prince uh, the prince returned with the dog. They let the prince have the dog. And he, uh, I mean, they probably had to, because that was the time of, like, absolute monarchy in France. So it's like, do what I want, or I'll have you executed. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. That's a little dramatic. <laughs> Jailed, at the least. Anyway, they returned to live at the Louvre together. Louvre at the Louvre. Not the museum. There was a palace there, I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Two years later, the Marquis de Lavoie came to the Pyrenees, the mountains, and he too returned to Versailles with a magnificent dog, and he became a great favorite at the court. From this time forward, members of the French nobility chose the Pyrenean mountain dog above all other breeds. So... Yeah, and then forever, I not forever for a while. <laughs> okay. uh, though the Grand Dauphin never became king of France himself, he died be before his dad died. Died, mm -hmm. so he never became king. That's how that worked. So the dog uh, became king. Yes. No. Uh, <laughs> the throne went to the Grand Dauphin's first son, the Petit Dauphin, who became Louis the Fifteenth. But the dogs oh, were still geez. extremely popular within the royal court of France. Additionally, in 1675, up to the last Louis. <laughs> They're popular even after the Louis. <laughs> Additionally, in 1675, Louis King Louis the Fourteenth declared the breed the royal dog of France. Even after the French Revolution in the 1790s, the breed remained one of the most popular choices among estate owners to guard their lands and farmers as well, and shepherds, of course. All right. Is it still more a regional dog, or did it like spread across France? Oh, it's spread across France. We're getting there. So we're into the modern era now. So post 17th century. Nice. The Pyrenean Mountain Dog was first imported to the United States around 1815 by an estate owner in Delaware. 
And then uh, the General Marquis de Lafayette sent two to a friend of the United States in 1824. However, or unfortunately, really, these dogs were not noted to have made any contribution to America at the time, and they all passed away in obscurity from the more popular oh. breeds, which were setters, pointers, and hounds. Wow. Well, Lafayette tried to bring, like, every French dog I mean, to America, apparently. I think he just really liked giving them his gifts. It's like, you know what's the best gift ever? A puppy. <laughs> Whatever it's all he and Washington talked about. <laughs> During the 19th century, the increasing popularity of the Pyrenean Mountain Dog led to the major kennels of France overselling and overpromising their dogs to prospective owners and interested future breeders. This meant that the influence the French kennels had over the dog breed was lost, basically. Um, it's reported that they sold almost all of their high-quality breeding stock to foreign purchasers, and in some cases into the hands of overzealous profiteers who wanted to breed more of them as fast as they could for optimal income. In some countries, the Pyrenees were mixed with other dog breeds to improve their skills in the field, with one example being Scotland. They interbred the Great Pyrenees with their deer hounds to improve their Scottish deer hounds. It's implied in several sources that by the turn of the 20th century, the Pyrenean mountain dog's stock quality and trueness to its nature was greatly diminished due to novice dog breeders wanting to make profit off of the dog or mix the dog with other breeds to aid in the restoration of a different breed. Oh, yeah. And their popularity was always high because they were the royal dog of France. Yeah, so, it's a pretty common problem with popular yeah, breeds. Yeah, especially ones that come naturally from a very skilled origin. Hmm. And then they think that that'll just go on forever. I feel like that's a common thing we uh, talk about, too. Yeah. Another well-known example of the mixing of the Pyrenean mountain dogs into other breeds uh, was their use in the restoration of the St. Bernard during the 1870s, which uh -huh. I want to say I remember reading about that when I was researching St. Bernard's, that they know. used the Great Pyrenees because they were an, another mountain dog, and it was a way to kind of restore its, like, strength essentially because the dog went through some issues at that time yeah this breed's definitely come up a lot i was surprised we hadn't covered it already me too thanks mom for suggesting it. my mom suggested this oh, breed thanks. by the way in 1907 a study was undertaken in the pyrenees mountains by a man named monsieur t dretzen which i found to be a very german name uh <laughs> or at least eastern european <laughs> he's french apparently and this was in an attempt to restore the breed to its true nature of the 350 dogs studied in the mountains, only six were deemed most accurate to the original Pyrenean mountain dog. So those six were purchased and then taken to Monsieur Dretzen's personal kennel in Bois-Colombe, which is northwest of Paris. I, again, I don't speak French. I don't know if I'm saying any of these things correctly. <laughs> they sound right to me. His prize dog from those six uh, was named Porthos. Unfortunately, there's like no illustration or f photo. There's nothing. So, uh-oh. So sad. <laughs> Porthos, P-O-R-T-H-O-S. Probably looked like a great Pyrenees. It's probably Porto. <laughs> probably. Porthos. 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 <laughs> he eventually returned to the mountains and found at least 50 more dogs to use in his kennel for the improvement of the breed. Though Monsieur Dretzen was indeed a player in the restoration of the Great Pyrenees, other factions were also arguing that their work was more valuable than that of Monsieur Dretzen. We're going to move on now to this man named Bernard Sinac Lagrange, who was another fancier of the Pyrenees, and he also went on an expedition throughout the Pyrenees Mountains to find specimens for his efforts to restore the breed. He found six way better dogs. <laughs> 
Unlike Monsieur Dretzen, Sinak Lagrange based his operations in the Pyrenees Mountains instead of a kennel in Paris, <laughs> so mm. that he could be closer to where the dog is in its most natural state and where it would be more easily found. Makes sense. He found around 50 to 60 dogs suitable for restoration of the breed as well. I mean, they both found about 50 to 60 dogs each. And uh, he began his breed quality restoration in the mountains. So it's kind of interesting. They have this very, like, strong rivalry against each other, but they had the co- they had common goals. So before World War One, they eventually kind of came to a mutual agreement about the breed Um and they some several positive conclusions came about from it, which was the first one was that uh, the most important one really is that both parties decided that the history of the breed could not repeat itself and they couldn't let the breed stock get to be such a low quality again. Oh. That was one thing where they were like, we have to make sure this breed always stays at its optimal condition. So they were enemies and they just started working together. Yeah, that's what it that's what the source said there was like no paper trail of that though there's nothing saying they had a meeting or anything like that but either way there were conclusions that for the betterment of the breed that came out of the rivalry the other conclusion was that the sale of this unique kind of dog to eager buyers had to be limited and more controlled so you couldn't just sell this dog to anybody anymore it really only went to shepherds you know livestock herders farmers estate owners like very limited kind you couldn't just buy this dog if you wanted to like you could before yeah that's a good call i guess and then an (laughs) odd result of the rivalry was that the uh perinian mountain dog was culturally not biologically divided into (laughs) the royal parisian dogs which were called Le grand chien de montagne and then the mountain dog variety which were the patu so it's they're the same dog one just was thought of to be more refined because it was in the show one was a little more rough and tumble because it was a mountain dog and it was because of this rivalry it has no bearing in truth biologically it's just because these two men would not agree on that (laughs) one was from the city one was from the country well yeah that's an issue with a lot of working breeds yeah so people think the purity comes with being a working dog as well true it's unfortunate though when world war one happened both kennels ended up forgotten and inactive by 1918 by the time the war ended both kennels were off the map so though efforts were made to revitalize the breed right after the first world war the results were horrible some mountaineers had decided to cross the breed with the alpine mastiff as a way to improve and reintroduce the breed not so great what ended up happening was a complete disruption in the elegance and look of the breed only resulting in lessening interest in the great pyrenees by the time the war in the alpine mastiff ordeal was over the registrations of purebred pyrenean mountain dogs in france sat at a lowly 20 dogs per year wow if that geez. according to the records kept by uh bernard sanac lagrange a group of breed fanciers met at a uh meeting in the pyrenees mountains and decided to have like a once and for all we're going to revive this breed to the way it should be this is it we're going to do it was this before World War II still? Yes. Oh, jeez. Yeah. They were also met with very limited resources and public indifference. Like, the people didn't care. <laughs> like, the public yeah. was like, what, who cares? It's a mountain dog. It's, <laughs> you know, other dogs were fashionable at that point. Right. So, Sinak Lagrange and his group of fellow Pyrenees mountain dog fanciers decided to establish an official breed club in France, which he was the inaugural president of. A registry for the breed was made, and they wrote their first official standard, which was published in 1927. 
Additionally, the Breed Club established shows, thus beginning their illustrious career as show dogs. This may have further added to the unnecessary differentiation between Le Grand Chien and the Patu. And then that brings us to America again. So the first recorded actual registered Pyrenean Mountain Dog to come to America was named Great Pyrenees. Great, not yet. Or <laughs> uh-huh. was named Basquari. And we do have an illustration Basquari. of Basquari. This dog was actually registered to the American Kennel Club in 1933. And it was the first one to be called the Great Pyrenees, which is div- which I looked it up why it's called that. And there actually is an article about it. It's derived and simplified from the French Le Grand Chien de Menton. Yeah. I don't know. Oh. So it's literally shortened from the Grant, like the Great Mountain oh, Dog. okay. Yeah. Le Grand. Le Grand, yeah. So that's why it's called Great Pyrenees in America. As the breed was accepted into the AKC, there came issues upon realizing their breed stock's standard of acceptance was too strict. In order to import enough of the dogs to keep the numbers high enough for acceptance in the AKC and continuing registration... Dogs with less recorded pedigrees, but were, that had quality to them nonetheless, were allowed for importation. Look, guys, they can't be a perfect square. Well, there weren't enough of them. <laughs> put, your, put your measuring tape away. However, by the 1930s, the Pyrenees began to undergo cosmetic changes in their breeding to accommodate for the American taste of the breed looking exaggerated. This tends to happen in this country, too, when it's imported from another country. Pugs went through it. Frenchies went through it. Small dogs get smaller and big dogs get bigger. Well, and features get more exaggerated. So, like, right. the eyes get bigger, mm-hmm. the nose gets smaller, you know, things like that. That's just with those little dogs. This one is they wanted the head to be bigger. They wanted the, the fur to be fluffier, you know, just all that kind of stuff. Yeah. This may have led to a decline in the breed's overall health, as the British Kennel Club also adopted the standard at the time. It was only in the 2010s that the clubs began to focus on the functional ability of the dog as the main component for judging the breed, which was like basically 11, 12 years ago, which is pretty crazy. The dog was used for important tasks during World War II, such as hauling artillery between their native Pyrenees mountain range for the French troops. And uh, after World War II, Sanac Lagrange again took the lead to restore the dog after the German occupation of France. Then the breed was brought back to pre-war numbers afterward, thanks to their long-standing popularity in rural France and is like Great Britain and the United States. Bernard Sinac Lagrange died in 1954, so he was pretty pivotal in the introduction of this breed to the world. Essentially, mm-hmm. currently the Great Pyrenees are ranked the 63rd most registered breed in America out of 284. Right? Yeah. So they're pretty popular. <clears throat> they're rather popular they're not i mean after fifth after the top 50 the breed registration numbers really kind of dip so i I feel like on paper they look popular but in reality they are kind of tough to find Hmm. um they're not a city dog really they're mostly probably still found on farms um they're a top choice for livestock dogs i think america equally too i mean they're definitely family dogs as well yeah but living where we live i don't know if we'd see one they're kind of (laughs) huge but they're perfect for chicago winters i suppose i guess (laughs) maybe not the summers though well actually their fur protects them from the sun because it's so white Mm. so but anyway that's the history of the great pyrenees very cool well we're gonna take another break and then we'll move on to the ownership of this breed we'll be right back We're back with the ownership of this dog. So I'm going to start with the training. Mm. 
Though naturally guarding and caring, they will not put up with boring training. Many resources recommend training the Great Pyrenees to understand obedience and commands by keeping it fun and rewarding, while also remaining firm. The Pyrenean Mountain Dog is a very smart dog breed and expects to be involved. Early socialization training is also a must to help them understand boundaries as well as their own physical strength. It's recommended while house training a Great Pyrenees that you use the same entrance and exit to where they go to relieve themselves to establish where to go. And also to detect fussiness in the puppy is a possible sign of having to go outside before they understand communicating it to you as their new owner. They will also chew things a lot, so be sure to have lots of toys and safely chewable things for them. Crate training is recommended for this dog as they'll become restless and destructive if left alone in the house, which you should also not do if they are puppies. So yeah, difficult to train as a smart big dog. Pretty much. I mean... It doesn't say like they're difficult so much as it is. They're just yeah, a, a lot of work. Stubborn. Yeah. Stubborn sounds pretty difficult. <laughs> <laughs> they're stubborn without being difficult. They need about one to two hours of activity a day to behave and stay fit. Just read it around the neighborhood. No, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> there are a few common health concerns like a hip and elbow dysplasia and patellar luxation. That's a lot. We see that a lot in the big dogs. Eye disorders like entropion, cataracts, and canine multifocal retinopathy, which causes blindness. Another one is neuronal degeneration, which is like a, it's a disorder of the nervous system. It hits very young in their life, like in puppyhood, and it basically just decreases mobility. And the last one is bloat, which can be fatal for certain Ew, kinds of dogs. Yeah. For grooming, they will need around 30 minutes of brushing once a week and then a trip to the groomer for those who want the ease of keeping them trim whenever the need arises, basically. You can also keep their hair a little shorter to keep the brushing easier. Be sure to keep their nails trimmed as well as to clean and check their ears regularly. If you want to bathe them yourself, you can. Um, it's recommended as an on, like as an as-need basis. And you will have to blow them out twice a year to get all the shedded fur out oh, yeah <laughs> so that's fun <laughs> well bathing a dog that big without much hair sounds pretty tough yeah i think it would be best to take them to a groomer if i owned one but... i don't know they're very easy going <laughs> yeah this <laughs> might work out but still take a while if you try especially find... <laughs> when it comes to finding one the breed club website has breeder and rescue resources available the median cost of a great pyrenees is fifteen hundred dollars with the low end being eight hundred and the high end two thousand five hundred dollars plus up to five thousand was one quote that I saw, and they live up from ten to twelve years, so they have a, a little bit of a below average life expectancy than what we see typically it's just like twelve to fifteen twelve to sixteen yeah overall, the Pyrenean Mountain dog is a very affectionate and vigilant guard dog for families and single owners. They are patient with young ones and devoted pets to those that show them love and affection, though they are portrayed as loving with children. And kind of like lovey-dovey dogs, training is always very important with the size of a dog to take into account because they are strong. Right. Um, they're very smart, though, and driven dogs that need to have exercise or they will go insane in the house. After all, they are a mountain-bred livestock herding dog. That's all I have on the Great Pyrenees. We'll just start herding your furniture. <laughs> Barking at it to get into shape, get into form. Oh. I actually really like this breed. Yeah, I think they're a really cool dog. If I... Of the few big dog breeds I like, this is definitely uh, one of them. Just because they seem very gentle, very patient with children and people in general. But also, like, are active and, you know, good to run around. And 
they're also naturally a guard dog. They were trained originally as guard dogs. So they're very good about, you know, knowing if someone's where they shouldn't be. Yeah. I mean, you know, the big mountain dogs are always mm-hmm. really cute and seem all around cool dogs. Definitely. Definitely. But yeah, I was really impressed with this one. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Glad we finally covered it. Definitely. <laughs> anything else you got? I don't have anything. No, that's it for me. Dog news. What's the news? Well, uh, it's a story of an amazing uh, journey home. Well, journey away from home from this dog and being found uh, 1,600 miles away. Wow. Yes. Story comes to us from NPR, Vanessa Romo of NPR. So a Zeppelin. It's a three-year-old German shepherd mix who uh, went missing from a West Sacramento, California home like more than a year ago. Hmm. He'd be reunited with his family just before Christmas. Aww. So, uh, yeah, it's more than a year ago, went missing, and then last week the owner got a call from Kansas, being West, you know, uh, Sacramento, California. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> and so basically, uh, Zeppelin was like friends with everyone in the neighborhood, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like routinely go down to like a construction site, one of his like main places, and spend all day there, uh-huh. making friends with people. And she has no proof, but she felt like you know someone just like really liked him and just took him with him mm. <laughs> to Kansas, I guess. <laughs> and then you'd gone for over a year, and they just never lost hope, and they were glad he was microchipped. Definitely, definitely, yeah, yeah. And they're just holding out hope, and eventually they just got a call that someone found him. That's crazy. Yeah, just on their property. Just took him to a vet to get him checked out. Wow. I wonder if that's crazy. It's like, and he is from California. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah, oh, yeah. I wonder if the dog belongs to someone in the neighborhood better. (laughs) Right. California. Ended up in Louisburg, Kansas. Never been to Louisburg, Kansas? No. Louisburg? I, I can't say I've been to Kansas too often. Well, uh, apparently when Zeppelin arrives home... Uh, on Wednesday. So that's, that's t- the day we're recording. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He'll be getting a press conference. <laughs> Big media circus. Welcome home. What have you seen in your travels? <laughs> <laughs> How did you get to Kansas? There you have it, folks. <laughs> that's that's pretty. That's really sweet, though. <laughs> sounds just like a like a happy-go-lucky dog that just got taken like far from home. Yeah. Isn't I mean, a I plot guess of a movie? Homeward Bound. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say. That's in the title of the article. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's a movie. Yep. It's two dogs and a cat. It's so sad. It- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's not, a, it's, a, it's not like a very happy movie, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Super melodramatic, actually. <laughs> yeah. Is that all for the dog news? Uh, Yeah. You want to see a picture of Zeppelin? He's oh, sure. like a German Shepherd mix. Sure. I don't know if I mentioned. Ah, Super cute. <laughs> yeah, it's a very happy, friendly dog. Definitely. Well, we thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of We're Getting a Dog, and we wish you happy holidays as well. Happy Honda days. Happy Honda days from Dylan, yeah. Um, We will be back with another episode, hopefully within the next week or two. I think it would, at the max, it would be in the next... next Might go missing for over a year, and then you find us in Kansas. Or that, yeah. (laughs) But we're not microchipped, so I don't know (laughs) how they'd find us. It's like a podcast feed. It's microchipped guess well either way we'll be back with another episode soon and we hope you all have a wonderful holiday rest of your holiday season remember to help out your local shelters any way you can whether that's donating volunteering fostering or adopting help Help control control the pet population have your pets spayed or neutered 
Thank you, everyone. Have a great new year. Wesley Van Hoosen and Dylan Naylor are not pet professionals. Any advice regarding pet ownership and the responsibilities thereof taken from this program should be checked with your veterinarian. All episodes are researched thoroughly, fact-checked, and additionally researched during post-production. Annotated bibliographies of every episode can be found at we'regettingadog.com slash bibliographies. This podcast is hosted by Dylan Naylor and Wesley Van Hoosen. If you'd like to reach out or submit a photo of your dog to be featured on our social media, please contact us at WGAD at ArcadiaPodcastNetwork.com or on our Instagram at We're Getting a Dog. Thank you for listening to We're Getting a Dog from the Arcadia Podcast Network.